Welcome to another inspirational My Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Colin Santafe. To find out more about My Church, visit mychurchcanada.com. Wow. And so we're going to start in 2 Thessalonians. And I'm going to read from the message, 2 Thessalonians. And if you're taking notes, I'd really encourage you to take notes today because I'm going to kind of get into some of the weeds on some of this topic and then kind of come back out. It would be really good for you to take notes. And this is what it says in 2 Thessalonians. It says, because we know that this extraordinary day is just ahead, we pray for you all the time. We pray that our God will make you fit for what he's called you to be. Pray that he'll fill your good ideas and acts of faith with his own energy so that it all amounts to something. If your life honors the name of Jesus, he'll honor you. Grace is behind and through all of this. Our God giving himself freely, the master Jesus Christ giving himself freely. Jesus, we thank you for today. And God, we want to understand more of who you are. We want to understand more of your word today. And so God, we're hungry today to get to know you more. We're hungry to know more of your heart. And I pray that there would just be an openness and a receptivity today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Awesome. So, hey, I'm going to jump right into things. Thank you so much, Edwin. Appreciate it. Amazing vibes in the back. But sometimes I think that Hello. Oh, there we go. Back. I think life would be a lot easier if somebody told me exactly what to do. Do anybody agree with that? Life would be just easier sometimes if somebody told me exactly what to do. And I think this is the thing. There's a lot of ambiguity in a lot of my activities, like going to the garage, for example. Uh, Like seeing a mechanic for me is is a source of anxiety. Um, And this is the weird thing. My kids love motors. Like, Anything, I remember somebody was asking like, oh, what would your kids want for Christmas? Like anything that has to do with mass transit and motors and transportation, like my kids will be very happy. They love like F1 recaps, world enduro, like dirt bike racing, rally races, and they love YouTube mashups of trains just passing by stations, evidently like filmed by people who never get grown up jobs. I don't know (laughs) who films these things. Um, But there's some really generous people online who like the same thing that kids like. So that's great. Um, Whoa, okay. This is, um, okay, two seconds. There we go. Oh, my gosh. What's going on here? Um, So, but this is the thing. The garage, it's it's a confusing place. Um, And for me, it kind of usually starts, like, my claim to fame, and this, I kid you not, this is true. My claim to fame was replacing, like, the windshield wipers on my car which my father-in-law just told me today didn't work. So that's awesome. But when I go to the garage, I find it'll kind of start like this. Like I'll go like, hey, like there's like this vibration in the car, like there's a noise, which never happens when you're at the garage, by the way. I don't know if any of you have experienced that. And then they'll spit, like they'll rhyme off some stuff. They'll look at it always like it's the first time they've ever seen this happen. Like this is brand new information and all of the times that they've seen things go wrong with cars, like, okay, well look, this is either the struts or the chassis. I don't know what either of those mean. So obviously I tell the guy it's the chassis because I don't want to be taken advantage of. So I just make sure that I throw something out there. And then they have the craziest estimates. They're like, okay, well, like, how much is this job going to cost? They're like, well, look, it's probably going to be 250 or the car's a write-off. I'm not sure. It's somewhere, <laughs> it's somewhere in between those two. And so you're kind of trying to figure this out. And then I find it always comes down to these two options that they'll give you. They'll be like, well, look, what's your budget and everything? They'll be like, okay, look, I can either patch this 
it may or may not work, or we can just replace the whole car. What do you want to do? Choose now. Choose wisely. I'm like, I don't even know what a chassis is. Like, why don't you just tell me exactly what you want? And I, this is the thing. I think life would be easier sometimes if people just told us exactly what to do. If we could just get the roadmap. And, and I think it's true in the small things, but I think it's true in the larger things as well. And when I think about calling, I think sometimes it would just be easier if somebody just told us exactly what to do. What to do, what not to do. What am I called to? I think that every single person in this room, whether you're Christian or you're not Christian, at some point has asked, what am I called to do? And then secondly, how, how do I know what I'm called to? What is it and how do I get it? What am I called to? And I think that this is a question that plagues people. And if we're honest, I think that there's a sense of anxiety sometimes about it. Because think about it, especially we're trying to figure out these huge directional things in our lives, like what, what am I supposed to do? And then as a Christian, there's this layer as well of cosmic anxiety. It's not just like what I'm called to do. It's, it's also what I'm called to do is going to have cosmic and eternal consequence and proportion. And so on top of this, now as a Christian, I'm taking on an extra layer of anxiety going, man, I really need to know what this thing is. And people expend a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to find their calling. Has anybody asked that question, what am I called to do? And I think when it comes to calling, it would just be easier sometimes if somebody told us just exactly what to do. And people go to great lengths, like whether it's going on trips, whether it's um, finding time, journaling, asking these big questions. And so I think it would just be awesome if somebody did that. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to answer that question of calling. So how do we find our calling? What is our calling? Here's the answer. Are you guys ready for this? Are you sure you're ready? I'm going to answer this question once and for all. So take out your phones. The answer to what my calling is is ask a better question. You can write that down. Ask a better question. Have you ever considered that when you look through the Bible, at least so far, I can't find one example of somebody asking what their calling is? Don't you think that's a bit odd that, that this, the Bible contains all throughout history people who are making statements and asking questions about what it means to live life, what it means to know God, and yet there's not too many people in the Bible that I can find going, God, what is my calling? God, how do I find my calling? And so when you look through the Bible, it doesn't seem like this is a question. I'm not saying it's a bad question. I'm just saying that there may be a better set of questions to understand what we can do and what the activities that we're doing on this earth really mean. And so this is what I want to do today is start to look at this and explore this idea. And so I want to explore this idea from three angles, okay? Firstly, what our culture has started to define as a calling. Secondly, I want to define what I think the Bible talks about when it talks about calling. And then third, I want to actually ask some better questions to help you unpack the next steps that God has for you, okay? So we're going to look at what we've come to define as a calling, what I think the Bible says about what a calling is, and then what are some better questions than asking what is my calling and how do I find it? Maybe we need to ask a different question to actually find what we're called to do. So if you're taking notes, write this down, what we call a calling. What we call a calling. 
So often, I think that there's a few things at the scene of most people's callings. One, it's in a distant future. Have you ever noticed that? Most of uh, the things, when we're actually asking that question, we're really asking a question about something that's off in the future. What am I going to do? Who am I going to become? What are the activities I'm going to engage in? It's usually in a distant future that's not too far off that it's unattainable, but it's not too close that you have to start doing something. Secondly, it's often where happiness lives. When I'm there, when I've answered this question, then I'll be happy. So it's in a distant future. It's where happiness is. And then it's also the sole reason you're here. So it's this thing in the future. It's the only reason you're here. It's where happiness lives. And and also, I find at the scene of, of most of these callings is power and influence and success. And again, now, is there anything wrong with any of those things? Am I saying you shouldn't have a vision for the future? Absolutely not. Am I saying that you shouldn't have happiness in the future? Absolutely not. This is a fine list, but I think if it's the only thing in the list, then it's problematic. And see, this is the thing, is I think ultimately, if you distill down and boil down all of these things, I think the church has taken notes from culture that calling is all about fulfillment. And when we're asking that question, what am I called to do? What we're saying is, is what can I do in the future that's going to give me fulfillment? What's the thing that I'm going to be able to engage in that I'll finally feel fulfilled? That I'll finally be able to see my my life and my legacy and my future mean something? And so I think ultimately what we're trying to do is answer that question. How can I do something of influence and of importance in the future that's going to fulfill my life, my ambitions, and my legacy. And see, this is a fine thing to think in secular thought, but I actually don't think that this is a Christian idea. I think that there's actually a greater depth to a Christian when it comes to answering this question of a calling, when it comes to understanding purpose behind why we've been put here and what God has called us to do. And this is the thing, when I actually looked through the Bible, I found one example of a guy who is kind of like us. And this is the interesting thing too, we have to consider where we are in time and space as well, where where our culture fits in greater history. We are a culture that has more options than we've ever had. 300 years ago, if your dad was a carpenter, guess what you were going to be? A carpenter. If they were a cooper, you were probably going to be a cooper. If they were whatever it was, you would probably just be whatever you were. And so options weren't as varied and weren't as wide. But we live in a culture now where there's a greater wealth and there's a greater amount of opportunity. And I found one guy, one wealthy guy in the Bible who has a conversation with Jesus that actually sounds how we talk about calling. So this is what it says in Luke. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what do I need to do? to inherit eternal life. So this guy is walking up on the scene. He's going, okay, give me the roadmap. What do I do? How do I find eternal and ultimate fulfillment? Just let me know. And so Jesus says, well, okay, like, um, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't testify uh, falsely, honor your father and your mother. And he says, yeah, I got all that on lockdown. Like, I'm good to go. And so then Jesus says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Set all your possessions and give all your money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And this guy hears this and he goes, no, I'm not in. You know, I think sometimes 
This is actually how our interaction with God can look. We often go to God saying, God, I need you to animate my ambition. I need you to be able to animate all of the things that I want to do in the future. And yet God is looking at us going, hey, I'm actually calling you to myself. I'm calling you to relationship with me. I'm calling you to follow me. But our culture wants to use Jesus as a tool to be able to animate whatever future we're looking at. So I want to create this future. I want all of these things to mean something. I want to engage in these activities to make sure that I fulfill my own legacy in my life, in my future. So Jesus, I need you. Tell me what I need to do so I can get that. And Jesus is going, but there's a whole different set of questions I'd like to invite you into. There's a whole different set of things I'd, I'd like to call you into. I'd like you, before you even understand your calling, to do something is that you're called to me. And yet this guy didn't want what he was selling. And so he's looking at the creator of the heavens and the earth going, no, I'm not interested in what you're selling. And I think sometimes, sadly, when it comes to a calling, there's so much anxiety around what I'm called to do and how I unpack and understand and explore my calling is because we've actually made ourselves the focal point in the center of our future. And yet I think there's actually a more powerful set of questions that we can ask. There's a more powerful invitation that God is bringing us into as Christians. And I understand this mentality and this philosophy from a secular worldview. Because this makes sense. If, if I'm the only thing here, if there is no God outside of me, then all I have is my own activities that I can engage in to create options in a future for myself. But we have something so much deeper and so much more profound. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this idea of callings? And ultimately, it's quite simple. The Bible ultimately is first God calling us to himself. Write that down. Callings in the Bible are primarily God calling us to himself. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 4. I use the amplified version so we can kind of get more context for what this scripture is really saying. It says, so I, or therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, um, prisoner for the Lord, so Paul is talking about himself, appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That is to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude for God for your salvation. A life that expresses gratitude for God for your salvation. Now, not only that, this passage of him saying, let's live a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called, is hinged on something. It says, therefore, it's hinged on Ephesians 3. And in Ephesians 3, Paul is looking at it and he's going, isn't it incredible that God hasn't just called Jews, but he's called Gentiles and everybody into his home? And isn't it incredible that me, somebody who should be disqualified from all of this, has actually been called into God's house and called into God's family. Therefore, I want to live a life of trust knowing who he is. Therefore, I want to live a call worthy of his calling. So what's the context that Paul is talking about? Paul does go on to talk about gifting, and I do believe that there's specific giftings that people have. But before he talks about that, he's saying, isn't it incredible that we've all been invited to the table? Isn't it incredible that we've just all got a seat at the table? See, this is the thing, is when your fulfillment lies in the fact that God has just called you to himself, then the future has way less anxiety. 
But if your fulfillment is living in your activities of how you're going to actualize whatever life you want, then there's going to be a lot of anxiety. See, when I have a calling and I'm predominantly called to God, then all of a sudden I can be in a good work situation or a bad career and I can still live called. I can be in a good relationship or a bad relationship and I can still live called. I can still be in a situation where I'm not sure exactly what my gifts are or exactly how I'm applying them and I can still live called. But I see so many people who walk away from faith and really when you get down to the bottom of it, it was I wanted one thing and God didn't give it to me. I thought it was called to this and I started doing it and I realized like it didn't come through and I failed and so, so God's not real. Man, I, I wanted one plan. I had a plan for my life. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. And then my relationship fell apart. So yeah, I don't trust that God. But it's all based on our path, our calling. And again, am I saying that there's anything bad with, with, um, with the future and having a vision for the future? No, what I'm arguing for is how we get there. What I'm arguing for is the order that we get there. And see, when I know that God has called me, and I don't have any reason, I don't have any merit or qualification that I can put on the table to say, God, you should use me, and he still says, no, I want you, then that all of a sudden can give me a confidence that whatever I'm going to face, if he's already called me to himself, if he already paid for my sin on the cross, if he's already endowed his grace to me, whether I do something or I don't do something, then now I can look at the future and go, yes, I do want to do great things. Yes, I do want to use my gifts. Yes, I want to apply them. But I'm not looking at, man, did I fall in and out of my calling? Because I'm called to Jesus. I'm not looking at if a situation goes sideways. Did I misstep? Did I step out of my calling? I guess it must have been me. I'm going, no, God, how are you showing me who you are in this situation? And all of a sudden, it creates a whole different set and way of looking at things. I love what Oz Guinness said, and he's a th theologian. And he's written a lot on, um, on the theology of vocation. And basically, vocation is just the Latin word for calling. So when you hear somebody say a vocational calling, they're literally just saying calling, calling. Um, that's literally all it means. Just a fancy word, just a Latin derivative. But he talks a lot about in the, uh, he writes a lot on the theology of vocation. And he says this, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons in service. See, a calling isn't your itinerary for the future. It's an invitation to Jesus. Your calling is not an itinerary for the future. It's an invitation to Jesus. And it's incredible when that invitation is the first thing, where that's the source of fulfillment. You can have a life in varied places. You could have a life where you do the same thing your whole life and find so much purpose and so much calling in it. Because it's not the things of our lives that define us. It's the purpose with which we inject into them. It's the reason that we do them. And I see so many people who are wandering, who are questioning, who are asking God, what is my calling? What am I supposed to do? And they waste their lives asking a question and falling in love with the romance of maybe doing something one day. When the greatest invitation 
we can ever be afforded, when the greatest invitation we've ever been given is actually at our doorstep and it's not in the future, it's today. So our calling ultimately is fulfilled in the fact that God has called us. So to summarize, calling isn't an itinerary for your future fulfillment. It's putting purpose behind all of our activities because we've been called into a relationship we didn't earn. So your calling is wider than your occupation. Your calling is your relationships. It's your career. Your calling is anything that you put God purpose behind. So that's how you can live it out today. That's how you can live it out in good circumstance and bad circumstance. Your calling is whatever you put purpose, God purpose behind. So then right now we've kind of gone or I'm trying to build an argument. And so my argument that I'm building is firstly, our calling is more than just future fulfillment. Secondly, I think that the Bible actually is more about calling God calling us to himself. And that way, whatever the activity is, it's just putting purpose behind the activities we're engaging in. But thirdly, so what are a better set of questions to start asking? So how do we start to unpack what to do? Because you might still be going, okay, well, this is great in a theoretical sense. I kind of follow what you're saying, but I have real decisions to make. Like, like there's actual things. There's door one and there's door two. What do I do? So what I want to do is kind of prompt some questions to explore this idea of a calling, which will hopefully give you guys some definitions. Is everybody still following me? Yeah? Okay. Uh, if not, just ask Toby, and I'm sure he can explain everything, everything you need. So a calling is about serving, not being served. So maybe a better question is, how can I serve the people around me? Imagine if we ask that question as much as we ask about what we're called to do. Anybody ever think about that? What things would look like? <laughs> it's quiet in here, okay. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger. Um, how can I serve people around me? See, we're in a society in a time that has a tendency that progress is to serve less. To progress is to serve less. And we all kind of have this vision of a future where there's more people, time, and resources at our disposal to do whatever we want to do. I don't know if you, if, even if you just track your thing that you're thinking about right now that you're filtering this message through, there's probably more people, time, and resource to do whatever you want to do. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I do want to juxtapose it to Jesus. <laughs> Thank you very much. One person there. Look that up on dictionary.com. <laughs> the front row needs it. Um, so here's the thing, though. I, I do want to A, B it to what Jesus, um, what Jesus lived, John 13. Jesus, with everything below him, right? He's the you know, creator of the heavens and the universe, starts to serve his disciples and wash their feet. Peter's like, yo, I, I don't want this at all. Like, just like, don't do it. Jesus is like, no, I have to. Peter's like, just please then, just like give me a full shower. He's like, no, that's super weird, man. But, <laughs> but think about what Jesus is doing. He's modeling us, or he's modeling something to us as believers. That progress, that greatness doesn't come from attaining more. It actually comes from giving more. 
And that's a countercultural thought. That's a thought that's not uh, prevalent as much in our society, I think. It's a distinctive to Christianity that really, when it comes down to it, the Christian question we should be asking to find purpose and animate purpose in our activities is to go, how can I serve the people around me? And not just the people that I like, the people that I don't like. Not just the people that I don't like, my enemies. That's an offensive thought, but that's actually, I think, where calling lives. That's where purpose lives. So rather than asking, man, am I called to my present job? Maybe start asking, how can I be of service at my present job? Am I called to this relationship? How can I serve that person I'm in relationship with? Am I called to use my gifting in this area or into the next area to walk into the promise I have? Maybe start asking, God, how much do you love people? And how can I use my gifts to push things forward in their lives? Do you see how this all of a sudden now becomes a very easy thing to start to work through what we're supposed to do? Because we're just supposed to serve people. That's what Jesus does. He collapses the Old Testament and says, love me and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And let that express itself and see what happens. I think if we started asking this question, it might actually start to prompt more purpose in all of the activities that we're doing. Now, again, am I not, I'm not saying that there, there aren't times to leave jobs or to leave relationships or anything like that. So hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying, okay? There's a bunch of questions that I'm going to put, and you have to kind of ask all these questions to figure out what the next step is. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, is just as much as those questions, we should be asking, hey, how can I be of service? How can I serve somebody who doesn't serve me? How can I help somebody who doesn't help me? How can I help somebody that doesn't help my future? That's a tough question to ask, but I think really, if we want to start asking real, like harder and better questions around this idea of calling, this is a better question to ask. How can I be of service to people? Secondly, a calling is about self-sacrifice, not self-fulfillment. So maybe a better question to ask is, how can I disadvantage myself for somebody else's gain? How can I disadvantage myself for someone else's gain. So I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I, I want to kind of reiterate this point, is that when you think about our culture, we try to disadvantage ourselves, or, or sorry, we try to bring as much advantage to ourselves as possible, right? So we want to keep disadvantage to, to a minimum. And that's why even in marketing, it's like get two for one, save whatever, 50% off. Like we love that. We want to make sure that we have absolutely as much advantage as possible. Now, on the flip side as well, we don't understand what anything costs. So think about in Jesus' time when he's writing this, the average person would have been able to source and understand exactly where everything in their house was made and where it came from in the process of it and the cost of it. We don't know where our information really comes from. We don't know how our clothes are made. We don't really know all that much about the process behind anything. And even in a social context, we only see on Instagram and all of these different platforms the end result of somebody's success. So it's a pretty hard culture when you really think about it to think about self-sacrifice when we don't really know what things cost. And then on the flip side, we also... Um, we just have a culture that doesn't really want to give away any advantage. And so when you really compound these two things, talking about sacrifice isn't a super exciting topic for many people. 
And yet, when you look at Jesus' life, like Jesus, he, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, you know, following me is like picking up your cross daily. In other words, following me is like giving up who you are and dying to yourself so you can give life to someone else. And that's a crazy thought. And that's one that I'm not fully, like, like you know, caught up to speed with. I think I'm going to spend my whole life trying to figure that one out. But I think ultimately, that's still a better starting point. It's still a better starting point. I hear so many people who go, man, that relationship's not filling me I'm not, or fulfilling me. I'm not sure if I'm called to it. What if we started to filter our relationships and go, how can I sacrifice and disadvantage myself for that person? I wonder what might happen to our relationships. I wonder how, how they might turn around. Man, I, I'm not really feeling fulfilled in this church. Like, it, it's just, it's, it's not like, it's not fulfilling me. What if you started sacrificing and laying something down for it? See, because when you start to do that, that's actually where new life starts to come and new purpose. And so, yes, it's paradoxical, but that's what Jesus teaches, is that actually in that self-sacrifice is where you actually find real definition in your life. It's actually where you find your life. <clears throat> and there's so many people trying to find fulfillment with their lives holding on to them. And yet Jesus teaches finding fulfillment is actually just letting it go. And so I think that a better question than a calling is maybe how can I disadvantage myself? How can I serve people? I know you guys are getting excited about this. How can I serve people and how can I disadvantage myself to find God's purpose? <laughs> Sign up for Connect Groups and Team today. Uh, but seriously, like... I think ultimately, really when we're asking that question of calling, we almost don't want to ask these questions because they're a little bit more uncomfortable to start to ask. They're a little bit more uncomfortable to start to explore. Here's the last one. I'll invite the team up and, uh, and we'll land the plane. But uh, a calling is faith today and a plan tomorrow. A calling is faith today in a plan tomorrow. So a better question, I think, than asking what is my calling is how can I put trust in your word today to see your larger plan unfold? How can I put trust in your word today to see your larger plan unfold? Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your works to the Lord, submit and trust them to him, and your plans will succeed. Commit your works to the Lord, trust in them, right? Like, like entrusting them to him and your plans will succeed. See, we like to tell the opposite. Commit your plans to the Lord and your works will succeed. And that's kind of the script I think that most of us run on. And that's why we're asking this question of calling. God, what's the plan? What do you want me to do? Tell me exactly what's going to happen and then I'll do that and, it, and it's going to be amazing. And yet this proverb says, no, 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 start to do something trusting God and you're going to see God work a plan together. And see, this is a scarier way of doing it. Because now my plan is not in my hands. Now my future is not in my hands. And then you have to ask some questions. Well, wait a second. If my future isn't in my hands, if I'm just going to start to trust every day and just step out, well, well, that means God has to order it now. Now I have to ask some questions about, is God really going to do what's in my heart? 
Is he really going to bring to life the passions that are in me, the vision and the desire that's in me, if this is all in his hands? If I'm all just trusting it to him, can he really work it together? And I think ultimately, a lot of us want to sidestep this question. A lot of us want to know. Because right now, you still may be going, yeah, Colin, this is all great. Sure, yeah, I'm going to serve and I'll sacrifice. But today, I've got door A and B. I've got the job that I can take or the job I can stay in. I've got the relationship where I may leave or the relationship where I may stay. What do you want me to do? Trust God. And you know what that means? You may not be 100% confident in either of those scenarios. But when you step out and trust in either of those scenarios, you'll see God's confidence come through and God's plan come through. And I think that's why it says in Romans 8, 28, that, that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are the called towards his purposes. And I think that's why even Joseph, when, when you look at him and he's, he has this dream and this vision of, of his brother serving him, and it's this incredible vision that he has. He goes to his dad. He's like, man, my brothers were serving me. His brothers hear that. They throw him in prison. And then he goes into slavery. And then he finally works his way up into the, the ranks in Egypt and gets embroiled in this whole thing and gets thrown back into jail. And then he finally rises to the ranks again. And he's standing in front of his brothers in a drought who need help. They don't even recognize him. And he says, you know what? God actually worked all of this out for good. Did his dream happen? Yes. Did it happen the way that he thought it would? No. Because the plans were in God's hands. And this is what I'm confident of. The thing that he's put in your heart, the thing that you see in the future, you can actually trust God with it. And rather than us sitting, spinning our wheels, asking this question where we're ultimately the author and the subject, of the story of what is my calling? How do I find my calling? What if we just started to say, I'm gonna start serving people. I'm gonna start to just disadvantage myself for someone else's gain. And I'm just gonna start to take a face step. I don't know if this is the right one, but, but I'm listening to God as best I can. I'm making a decision as best I can. I'm just saying, yes. And watch how God will not only bring the desires in your heart to life, but more importantly than that, just like this guy, this rich young ruler, that invitation, follow me, your life, your relationship with Jesus will be so shining that all of the activities and all of the pursuits will pale in comparison. And I think that's what it really means to live a life of purpose. Every activity, every action, surrendered in service, in sacrifice and trust. And that's when we actually get to know his character. That's when we really get to know who he is. And I wanna live a life that at the end of it, I've run as hard as I can, I've had big vision and big dreams, but an even bigger knowledge of who God is in my life. And I think there's a better set of questions when it comes to what we call a calling. We hope this message blessed and encouraged you. To find out more about our church, visit mychurchcanada.com.